They're worshiping and praising and kind of sitting in the green room lifting up praise. And it was just so good to hear the sound that was coming out of this room, to hear praise and to hear worship to God. And aren't you grateful for a place where you can come and the joy of the Lord can come in his presence as we worship? I'm so grateful to Pastor Jake and Hillary and the team, all of the creative services folks that put on something for us every week that is an environment where we can encounter the presence of God. Amen. Amen. Well, if we've not met before, my name is Brian. I am the young adults pastor here for BYA, which is our college age ministry for those that are 18 to 25. I've been doing that for about a year and a half. And in December, we'll be two years on staff here. But our family has actually been a part of Bridgeway since 2013. And we came here five years ago after a decade of ministry at another church where my wife and I led the youth ministry. We were part of leadership development, teaching classes and helping out the pastor on a Sunday every once in a while on the weekend. And I was one of those people who worked a full-time job 40 or 50 hours a week and then put in like 20 hours a week volunteering at the church where are my local church people at you love the church you love the house of God and you always want to be in anytime the doors are open Two of you. Okay, we're going to work on that. But um, what ended up happening was this little thing that people call burnout. And I realized something very quickly that Jesus already died for his church and I didn't need to. Amen? That's a word for someone. That's for free. But... Needed to spend some time with my wife and with my children and our family and really grow together. And so when I came here five years ago, I came to a place that was refreshing. I came to a place with solid doctrine and teaching. I came to a place with an atmosphere of worship where you can come and lay your burdens down. And so I just want to say this to you this morning as we get started, that if you are in this place today and maybe you're new, maybe this is your first time or you've just been hanging out for a little while, you are in a safe place. You are in a warm place. You're in a welcoming place. And to be honest, we don't need anything from you. We don't need anything from you. We just want you to receive here in this house. Now, we do believe that as you spend time with us and as you spend time with the Lord in the prayer and the Lord in word, and as you spend time with his presence, God is going to activate those gifts that he's placed inside of you. Each and every one of us has them. Some have more than one. And there is a call on each individual's life. There is a reason that you were made and there is a reason that you can do what only you can do. And we do believe that God wants to activate each and every one of us to a full and passionate life of loving him and loving people. Amen. But this morning, you don't have to worry about that. So we uh, have been in a series in the book of Micah, and uh, I just want to give honor to our senior pastor, Pastor Lance, and thank you, sir, when you watch this, for trusting me with your pulpit, and um, just give you glory, Lord, for um, giving me this book, which is about divine judgment and assigning me to teach about God's case against his people, which is the most convicting chapter of this book of divine judgment. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Sure. Appreciate that. Um, now we love pastor. It's a uh, job security. So, um, It's actually not a first for me. When I first spoke in BYA, the very first time I ever spoke anywhere at Bridgeway ever, and it was in the young adult setting, they actually asked me to preach about sex. So that was awesome. Um, I have three children. I know a little bit about it. And, um, you know, but it was good. And you know what? Let me just say this. I believe that the church needs to talk about the fact that God designed sex, not MTV, and that God is actually okay with sex and God designed sex in the proper context, which is the marriage bed of a man and a woman, but that God designed sex as a good thing. And if the world is going to be very loud about it to our youth and our young people, the church should be just as loud, if not more than about the right way that we do sexuality in this country. Can I hear an amen? All right. 
That was for free. It's not in the notes. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to jump in today into the book of Micah chapter 6. Just give you a quick recap if you hadn't been here. Uh, Pastor uh, Parnell started us off in this series talking about the fact that this is a judgment book. Like this is God coming to his people and saying, you've blown it, you've messed up, and then here's the judgment that you're going to get. Super encouraging, I know. Uh, and then Pastor Lance talked to us about the fact that this book is actually a lot about social justice and understanding the idea that the leaders of Israel at that time had started to defraud the people of their land. These were people who were poor, who didn't have much means or much possessions, and all they did have was their family land. And so they were tricked and they were kind of coerced into releasing that land out of greed and taking advantage of those who are less fortunate and who don't have the resources to protect themselves. And then Pastor Lance also talked to us about the idea that the leadership of the people of Israel was rotten and that everything rises and falls on leadership. And if the leadership isn't good, nothing's going to be good. Amen? And then Pastor Brian Kiley got to share with us last week. He got to do like the nice message. I think it was literally called Freedom in Jesus and talk about the fact that there's actually messianic prophecy in the book of Micah letting us know that Jesus will be born in the city of Bethlehem in the future. So he got like the happy message, which is great. But um, we do believe that here, by the way. We believe that Jesus Christ came, that he was born in Bethlehem, that he was of Nazareth, and that he did ministry in this world just as Jewish history records, as Greek history records, as Roman history records. But we believe that what the Bible Bible says is true that not only did he die by the hands of the Roman government under Pontius Pilate, but he was raised to life again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, our sin and our shame and our pain was taken upon that place in that cross. And if you don't know that today, in about 30 minutes, we're going to give you a chance to. All right. So we're jumping in to chapter 6, and I want to encourage you to open up the Bibles that are in front of you to page 779, if you want to grab one of those from under the seat back, 779, or you could get it on the Bridgeway app. I guess we have an app. A little overkill there. It's okay. The title for today's message is on your notes there, Getting It Right. Getting It Right. I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank as well. Jesus desires worship that is authentic. Jesus desires worship that is authentic. Chapter 6 in the book of Micah can be summarized in one overall thought for those of you that are taking notes. Uh, It is statistically proven that those who take notes get to go to heaven. No, they retain it more, but uh, it might be a good idea. One overall thought is this, the Lord's presentation of his case and why he's judging Israel. This is then broken down into three individual sections if you want to write them down. Number one, His redemptive care in their history. His redemptive care in their history. Number two, his expectations for a proper response. And number three, his basis for judgment of the wicked. We're going to read through this together. We're going to examine some of the key parts. We're going to look to make some applications together. And then we're going to ask God to speak to us about what he may be doing in our lives individually and about what's going on here in our family at Bridgeway. Let's dive in. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would change us, that your word is true and it lights up our path and it shows us the areas, Lord God, which we need to surrender to you. There's freedom in your word and there's life in your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would move past me with the anointing of your Holy Spirit, past my own mortal body or understanding, Lord, but that you would speak and that it would not be words that are natural, but it would be a move that is supernatural. We thank you for your word. It's life to us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? All right, so Micah chapter 6 and verse 1, here we go. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, 
Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people and he will contend with Israel. This is God now at the point where he's going to bring the accusation against the people. It's almost like a court setting. It's almost like a trial setting where the people will be on trial and God as the prosecutor is going to lay out the case against them. Who would ever want to sit in that courtroom? Not I. But we've heard up until this point kind of what they've done and we've heard a little bit from Micah what his response would be. Um, I think it's really interesting and obviously the messianic prophecies that Pastor Brian covered as well. This chapter though, the Lord is bringing up what they've done and it's very interesting to note here. He doesn't list their sins. He does not list back to them the sins they've committed. Instead, he asks some very interesting questions. Look at verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. And here the Father heart of God is revealed. He asks the people to consider, what have I done for you? Why would you turn away from me? Do you not see where I've been with you all through your past and through your history, how I gave you good leadership, how I brought you out? Almost sounds like a parent with a teenager And you don't have any teenagers in the house? And you're like, "Um, I think we fed you and we put food in your stomach. I'm pretty sure the clothes on your back I bought. And you live in a house that I pay the rent on. And we bought you a car. Can't believe we did that one. And like, how am I the bad guy here? Because I won't let you go out later than you should or date that knucklehead that you're dating. And just break up with them today in Jesus' name. That's for somebody. Um, (laughs) The Lord listed, right? That's, that's the posture of the people. And the Lord listed where he delivered them, where he'd been with them, how he'd helped them, how he'd been their God all along, even though they had left him, even though they had turned from him. That is his first response to their sin and their transgression is to say, I love you. These are all the things I've done for you in the past. What is going on that you would turn from me? I think it's helpful right here, right now, even for us to just take a moment And think of the things that God has done in our lives. And maybe some of us are here and you had a friendship that was near and dear to you and it had been lost and God brought you guys back together. Maybe there's some people in this room and your marriage was on the rocks and God restored it. Maybe you're blessed in business and financially God is taking care of you. Maybe more dramatically, some of us have been physically healed from a condition or a disease. And still others of us may have been delivered from a bondage or an addiction that is carried out throughout our family lineage. If we think about it, our lives are not perfect. and this side of heaven, they never will be. But there is something that we can give God glory for and praise. In my own life, just as a way of testimony, I I was raised in in a good home and had a good family, but out of my own rebellion left and walked away. When I was 16, gave my family the finger and decided I would live for myself. Got into a life of drugs and alcohol and 
stealing guns and selling them and stealing cars and selling them. I was a crystal meth addict. I was a marijuana addict. I was a pornography addict. By the time I was 17, I had two felonies and seven misdemeanors on my record. I know I look like Clark Kent now. (laughs) Praise God. But I think they have a picture for you. This was me in my senior year of high school spending a nine-months-all-expenses-paid vacation to the nation of Jamaica. It was not a resort. And I can tell you that God worked on me there and helped me to at least realize that I needed to stop being a criminal, but came home and met my wife, who actually been married 13 years now, coming up next month. Um, Yeah. But came home and met her, and then we moved up here. And um, in 2004, I walked into the doors of a little church that's about 10 minutes from here. And can I tell you that as I walked into that place, I saw people praising, they were singing, their hands were raised up. I didn't know what it was. I thought maybe it was a robbery or something. Like, I can kind of be familiar with that. Uh, And so I saw what was going on, and I said, okay, Lord, here's what we're going to do. I am going to sing these words to you as if you're real. And by the way, God is not afraid of if you're real questions. He's okay with that. If you're real, I'm going to sing to you as if you are. And can I tell you, Bridgeway, that in that moment when I did, a feeling that I can best describe as being like when your foot falls asleep and then it wakes up again and it starts to tingle, poured over my entire body, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I fell to my knees and I began to weep profusely as God delivered me and healed me and I rededicated my life to Him. And I can tell you right now that yes, it was a process, but glory to God, it was actually a short process that I no longer did drugs, that I no longer was addicted to pornography. Cigarettes went away in one kick. Boom, done, never again in Jesus' name. And I'm just saying it to you this morning because I still believe in the power of God in the name of Jesus to set people free and to deliver them. And maybe you're sitting here and that's something that you're dealing with as well. We're going to have a time for you in about 30 minutes too. But I I just can't help it. You guys say, man, why are you Brian? Some of you guys know me. Why are you so loud and why do you talk so fast? I just can't help it. Life is short. Eternity is real. And people matter most. So we just got to tell of what God's done for us. Amen. All right, let's jump back in here. Micah chapter six and verse six. You live now? Hey, good. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here the prophet Micah recounts back to the Lord what would be Israel's reply to God's lawsuit in which they claim ignorance, posing questions back almost like a teenager, like, what do you mean? What do you want from me? What what am I supposed to do here? Notice that it's all about performance and ceremony. What can we bring you? What can we do for you? Is there some duty we can do to fix this, to bring us back in right standing with you? Notice also that it's not genuine, heartfelt worship. The response back is bringing God's offering and worship that are over the top, maybe even heretical. Of course, God does not desire them to sacrifice their firstborn child. Different scholars read into this passage in different ways. Some say it's a reflection of how depraved the society had become and the surrounding influences were, that they would even suggest that to God in like this exasperated kind of way. 
Still others note that it's basically summing up a feeling that there was no way that they could serve or pay their way out of this debt. That basically nothing could be done. And again, the focus is on doing and on religion to make God happy. Thus, we get these references to thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. They basically don't know how to get right with God. And the only natural thought they have is religion and ceremony and duty. And if that doesn't work, let's just crank it up to 10. And we'll come to church more. And we'll be part of missional community more. And we'll serve in kids' way more. And praise God, if you're working out your guilt with God and your salvation, we love you. Please don't apply for kids' way. We love our kids more. But this idea that they would even suggest giving up their firstborn son. My firstborn son, a little boy named Lucas, and um, you fast forward a little bit farther in our testimony a couple years. When he was born, we were you know, a young married couple, and it's our first child. Lucas was actually born at a gestation of 22 weeks. I think they have a photo. Those of you that aren't familiar with premature birth, when a baby is born at 26 or 27 weeks, they have about a 50% chance of survival. When a baby is 26 or 25 weeks, they have about a 25% chance of survival. Lucas, at 22 weeks, had a 10% chance of ever living, of surviving, period. Show the next one. He was born without his outer layer of skin. You can see him there now. He was barely bigger than a dollar bill. It would fit on your Bible. He had a jet ventilator that gave him 100 breaths per minute. And they were concerned that his digestive tract would even work. But beyond all of that, he had bleeding on his brain, which they qualify from grade one to grade four, with grade four being the most severe, and Lucas had a grade four bleed on both sides of his brain, which they said meant if he survived, if he survived, he had a 97% chance of being deaf and blind, having cerebral palsy, and being mentally disabled for the rest of his life. So they asked us, Mr. and Mrs. Hopper, would you like to take him in the other room and unplug him? You can hold him and you can let him pass. And a few years, you guys can try again. You're young. We said, no, sir. We would like you to do everything you can with your techniques and your technology because we do believe in science and medicine. Amen. You do everything that you can do and God will do what you cannot do. And we believe that God will raise him up and God will heal him. And so I'm here to tell you today that there's a boy running around in kids way right now driving his teachers crazy who sees, he's small and he has glasses, but he sees perfectly, he hears perfectly, his social and cognitive abilities actually are above those that are in his peer group. This boy had a YouTube channel we found out about a month ago with content and subscribers. So pray for us. We're hoping he gets saved soon. So that's our family. Now you know why I yell so much. All right. Here we go. The next verse is fascinating. This is actually the key verse for our text in this chapter. I want you to key on it. It is Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. It reads thusly. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice 
to love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. Here again, we see the heart of the Father. The implied answer is that nothing is acceptable unless you're right with God and you're right with your neighbors. He wants these three things. You could write them down. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. We'll come back to this at the close of the message, but briefly you can sum those concepts up in these ways. Number one, remain just and right in all that you do. Number two, cherish compassionate kindness and faithfulness. That word mercy is actually the Hebrew word kased, and it is translated kindness, mercy, loving kindness, unfailing love, tenderness, and faithfulness. And number three, commit yourselves to live in submission to your God. And it's a good way to examine ourselves in our own lives. Are we doing justice? Are we kind? Are we submitted to the Lord? This is the life and heart posture that Jesus is inviting us all into with him. Let's pick up our text, chapter 6 and verse 9. The Lord's voice cries to the city, Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod, who has appointed it? Are there yet treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? And the short measure that is an abomination... Shall I count pure those with wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For her rich men are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You may carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread the olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil and make sweet wine, but not drink wine. For the statutes of Omri are kept and the works of Ahab's house are done and you walk in their counsels that I might make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore, you shall bear the reproach of my people. And that's a reference there to the renegade father and son kings of the northern kingdom, Omri and Ahab uh, in the preceding century who really brought the people into idolatry. This portion of the chapter is now God's prophetic word through Micah as to what's going to happen to the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. In short, it's not going to go very well. They have allowed the exact opposite of justice, kindness, and submission to rule their lives. They oppress the poor and the less fortunate. They're selfish and busy with their own agendas. And they don't submit their lives over to God. So they're going to lose what they have. Things are going to go against them. They will be unsuccessful and unfulfilled in their life's work. And that may even be a word for someone here today. If things are unsuccessful for you, or maybe you're quite successful, but you're unfulfilled, it might be that God wants to do some things in your heart towards kindness, towards walking with him and loving on other people. Because all the money in the world is never going to take the place of being in the house of God and loving the people of God. In the larger historical narrative, there is prophecy here in other chapters, not in chapter 6, that they will be in captivity to the nation of Babylon over 100 years later. And indeed, that is what happens to them. So what does that mean for us here today in sunny Roseville, California? How can we apply what we've read to our lives right now? 
Well, as we said, verse 8 is a great place to look. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Now that sounds simple, right? That is like the basic believer's course 101. But isn't it amazing in our society today, and even if we're being real in church, Christian church culture society, how easy it is to drift from these core concepts. There's a couple of reasons for it. Could be busyness of life. Could be personal experience or family tradition plays a role. It can also be a hardened and dry heart if we're just being transparent this morning. With that in mind, I want to ask you a few questions. There's no response needed. They're just things for reflection. And to be very clear here, these are things I ask myself for sure as well. Number one, how am I doing with helping out the poor and the less fortunate? How am I doing with doing justice? And what does that mean? Who does that apply to? Is it just the man who's begging for a buck on the street because he's homeless on the sidewalk? Or is it the mother from a refugee country holding an infant in her arms from a place that was war-torn and she's here now because her husband's dead and she has no other place to go? Who is my neighbor? Who do I love? The reality is we can't solve everything. And I know sometimes when we hear about some of these cases and causes, our mind can can go back to different places. You personally cannot change that. But God would ask you personally, what can you do in your sphere of influence and the people you know and the people you come into contact with and the abilities that he's God given to you? Amen? Number two, how am I doing with being kind? Am I kind? What's my attitude like to the people that are in my life? To the people that are in my workplace? Come on, some of them are in our families. Amen. <laughs> what is my attitude like to the people in my life? The people that I come across? Am I kind to those who don't believe what I believe? Am I kind to those who are different than me? Am I kind to those who don't vote like me, who don't look like me, and maybe even live a different lifestyle than me? Am I kind? Do I have the heart of Jesus, which is to be kind to all people? And if I don't, what is the reason for that? Did someone from one of those people groups hurt you? Did they offend you? Have you had contention in your family? What is the reason and where did this unkindness enter in to us that we can't be loving and graceful to people who are different than we are? It's a great question to ask this morning. Where and how did that unkindness settle in our hearts? That ties into the third one. How are we doing living our lives submitted to God? Are our lives about what He's about? Are our lives our own? Are they about what we want to do and where we want to go and how much we will or won't be inconvenienced? See, I'm just a little bit old-fashioned and a little bit old-school, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus. Like I gave him 
my schedule. Come on, I gave him my entertainment habits. Pastor, you're meddling. No, we're talking about reality. Um, I gave him my life. Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you share the good news? Do you talk to people about the fact that there is a real God and that he loves them and that he cares for them? Do you share it? Do you have people over to your house to eat? Are you discipling someone right now? And conversely, who is discipling you? Who speaks into your life to help you? My wife and I have this joke. A lot of times she'll bring stuff up to me and she'll say this and I'll say, yeah, I don't see it that way. She'll that's because it's a blind spot, buddy. You can't see it. And we need a couple of good men or women in our life who love God that maybe are a little bit farther along than we are or maybe they're in the same place that we are. It doesn't matter. But they speak truth to us because our life is open for God. Our life is open for what it's supposed to be about and we do allow for the word of God or times in prayer or times in worship or a word from a brother or sister who loves you to tell you, hey, I see this gift in you. I see this greatness in you, but you're not using it. You're not utilizing it. Come on, you can take a few minutes away from your fantasy football draft and like pray for someone or whatever's Pinteresting that day. Pinterest, interesting, Pinteresting. You got it. Okay, it'll sink in in a minute. Let me tell you this. The answer is not more religious rituals. It's not signing up for more classes. It's not doing more stuff at church. That is not the way to bring our lives and our hearts back into the proper place with God. In closing, I think that the response comes from the same thing that the children of Israel struggled with. Are we worshiping God rightly and fully? It's your fill in the blank. Jesus desires worship that is authentic. Is it just ceremony and routine? Do we come into church and absorb good teaching and watch worship and then go home and live our lives as if nothing had changed and if nothing had happened to us? Bridgeway, let me tell you this. We are blessed with the greatest exegetical teacher in the Sacramento region and potentially the country. Love you, sir. I'm getting that job. Um, And Pastor Brian and Pastor Matt, and come on, Pastor Parnell, I'm not going to sing to you because I love you. But no, no, no. Bridgeway, we are blessed. You don't need any more teaching. You need a lot more doing. We need a lot more living. We need a lot more praying. We need a lot more worshiping. We need a lot more of God moving in our lives and in our hearts and in this place. Because we're blessed with the best as far as teaching is concerned. But church doesn't just work this way. Where you come in and you watch what's going on. But church works this way. Where you're with the people that are next to you and you pray for them and you're in their home and you're in their life and you send them a text when you don't see them. Come on, a Facebook message if they haven't been around. Hello, how are you doing? Because we're in a family together. The message is about getting it right. I believe God is doing something in this place. Something that's been building for quite some time. And it's not enough for us just to play church. Today I believe God wants to minister to each of us. He wants to show us where we can be more compassionate and kind, yes but also just to remind us of who we are. We're His. 
We're his kids. He loves us. He loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. And he wants to do so much in you that you can then go and do so much in other people. This is the gospel. This is the life. This is the church that we are. Why don't you guys all stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. We're here in this place because we need more of you. And we want to encounter you, Lord. God, I pray that today in this place you have begun to break up some hard ground. You've begun to show us, Lord God, the life that you desire for us and the love that you have for us. That we would be more kind. We would be more compassionate. We would not put others up under labels or walls, but that right now you would tear them down in Jesus' name. And that there would be healing to hearts who've been wounded or offended by others. That we had stopped reaching out. Father God, I pray in this place that you are doing a new work and a new thing. If you've been here this morning and you felt Jesus is calling you, all through this day as the worship has been going, the Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heart. You want to give your life to Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity right now. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, every voice, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You died on the cross. You took my sin. And you rose again to make me free. Here's my life. I give it to you. Be my God. In Jesus' name. Amen. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, and nobody's looking around, this is a personal moment for some people with God, but If you said that prayer for the first time and you meant it in your heart, you are coming home today. You are giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Then I want you to shoot your hand up on the count of three because God is here for you to make a new start and a new day. One, you're giving your life to Jesus today. Two, maybe you're rededicating. You've been in church before, but you've been away for a while. And now you want to lift up your hand high. Three, in Jesus' name, you're giving your life to Jesus. Right here in the front, I see you. One, two, three, four, five on the side. Six, seven, I see you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. 8, 9, 10, 11. In the back, 12, 13, 14, 15. I see you right there. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. 15. Praise God. 16 in the back. Praise God. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. So here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to enter into worship again. Don't go anywhere. We ended early on time. The prayer team is coming forward. They're coming forward now. If you raised your hand, you're giving your life to Jesus or you're rededicating, they want to pray with you. They want to give you a Bible. If this message spoke to you and you said, yeah, there's some wounds in my heart. Maybe they're racial. Maybe they're uh, family members with different politics. That's fun. Uh, maybe you just have something that you say, you know what? I have been blocked from the love and the kindness of Jesus flowing out of my life, and I want to remove that block. They want to pray with you. I want you to come forward. And if you have any other need, maybe you need to be physically healed. Maybe you need an addiction broken out of your life, and it doesn't have to follow you out these doors. Then I want you to come forward. We're going to worship together. 
We're going to pray. Then I'm going to come back up at the end. I'm going to do one more thing. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Don't even wait. Just come. Come forward. They're here to pray with you now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for changing us in our hearts. We thank you for a new life in you. We love you. We worship you. And I want to encourage you today, church, to open up. Just like that body armor that covers inside all those tender places. And we would seek to protect. I want you to open up and worship. I want you to open up your hands. I want you to open up your voice. And yes, it is vulnerable. And yes, in a battlefield position, you would be completely exposed. But in the house of God, you'll be completely promoted. Because what I want to tell you today, church, is that if you will open up your voice and you will tell God who he is, then guess what? He'll tell you who you are. And he'll begin to speak to you in the place of worship. And he'll begin to change things in your life. And so if that's new for you, I want to encourage you to do it and be bold and specifically men of God and you say I'm conservative and I'm, I'm a little bit drawn back well you know what your family sir needs to see you your wife needs to see you your children need to see you show them how to worship our God because he's real and this culture needs to know about it so I'm looking for some men of God that'll be bold and count their hand up and say here am I I'm a worshiper of the king and in this place God is going to do something here right here right now we love you father we thank you because we're set free in Jesus name In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, we praise you. We love you. We give you glory in this house, Lord Jesus. You know, as I was getting ready for today, um, I just, I had a word that has two applications, and so I'll give it to you. We have a few minutes, and we, again, we set time aside for this. The word is ministry. And I believe there are a few people that are in this house today that are in the situation we were several years ago. And you used to be a leader. You used to lead Bible study. You used to pray. Honestly, I feel like there's somebody in here, maybe more than one, you used to be a pastor. And you used to preach the word of the Lord. And God used to move in your life. And what he wants you to do this day is just to know that it's not over. It's not over. And he has more for you. And that song, that part in there, in the Father's house, there's a place for you. Maybe you were out because of offense. Maybe some church wounds hurt you. Come on, churches are not full of perfect people and they mess us up sometimes. And so you felt like it was over for you. You were kind of cast aside or left out. But if that's you, and I'm talking to you, God's going to use you again. Be bold. Slip your hand up. Be bold. You were a leader. You were a pastor. You have ministry inside of you. You have a call in your life and you've been hanging out on the backside. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Thank you. Back there. Got you. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are restoring the call and the gift of ministry. In Jesus' name, we just see you teaching truth. We see you opening up the Bible with people and helping them to grow. We see you praying for people. We see you activated again into the ministry that God has for you. We thank you. There's a time of rest. There's a time of refreshing. There's a time when the word of the Lord comes in deep inside, almost like a fire that had gone out and it had died down. But deep inside the middle of those blackened coals, there was still a little bit of warmth. And the Holy Spirit would come with his poker today and stir you up. He would stir and shake inside of you. That You're coming back. The other part of that with regards to ministry is you feel called for the first time. You want to write songs for the Lord. You want to write poetry for the Lord. 
You want to design things for the Lord. You want to be one of the next worship leaders. You want to pray for people and see those addictions broken. You want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover as scripture records. That you feel called and say, I want to do something with my life to reach other people with my life. And if that's you in this place, would you lift your hand and we're just going to pray. You want to be used by God, for God, for God's people and for his call on your life. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have called us as your church, as your people, to bring the hope of the good news of Jesus to lives today. We thank you for these that are raised up, Lord God, and said, here am I. Send me. Use me. We thank you, Lord. There's something new coming over this place. Thank you, Jesus, who the sun sets free. One more time, church. Who the sun sets free.